The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Catch a creative vibe on the Urban Cube with Sister Shamiza. Good morning and assalamu alaikum. It's 10 o'clock, Monday 2nd of September and you're listening to Shamiza on the Urban Cube, taking it all the way up to 12 o'clock this morning. It's been a while. It's great to be back. Thank you for keep or staying in my company this morning. We're going out to the lovely people of Luton surrounding areas and Peterborough and Sheffield this morning too. You can catch the conversation on a Facebook Live um, and we've got lots to talk about this morning. I've got guests joining me locally and nationally this morning over the phone and they'll be sharing with me some interesting topics from climate change and hudge climbing three mountain peaks in 24 hours and some military history as well so it's all happening on the show this morning now folks it's sending the kids back to school time I think some children have already gone back. Have your children gone back? Um, how are you feeling about that? Um, I know lots of parents that I, that I know were kind of ticking off the calendar till the kids go back. But I know other parents are all feeling slightly like saddened that the children are going back. Maybe it's down to the school run because the school run, oh my goodness, it's been absolutely wonderful having six weeks of no school run. I did not realise how much it took out of me. Are you one of those parents? Are you glad that your child is going back to school or are you feeling that you, 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 you're going to miss them? Contact us on 07779481822 to join in with any of the conversations this morning. Now, um, interestingly enough, I came across an article which uh, looked at um, a father who had created an app which automatically, um, once downloaded on his son's phone, locks the child out if he doesn't respond to his text. What a fantastic app. Um, I've just given my daughter a phone, a new phone, and I know she will communicate with me when needed. But just in case, I might be tempted, tempted to download this app um, just in case she doesn't respond. Is that something that you would be wanting to kind of download on your children's phone? Do your children actually text you in conversation, as a conversation, while sitting in the same room? Do you have family members that do that? Um, I think maybe it needs to be locked down and everybody should be speaking uh, and communicating face to face. It has been a glorious summer break. Um, The weather has been up and down. Um, This morning it felt a little bit chilly. It felt like winter and it was a little bit dark outside as well. So winter seems to be creeping up or autumn seems to be creeping up on us. Folks, if you've tuned in, it is... uh, It is the Urban Cube show. I'm taking you all the way up to 12 o'clock this morning. Now, I've got a wonderful panel of guests joining me um, on the show. They're actually joining me over the phone, not in the studio, guys. Um, I'm firstly joined by Maria Zafra from Islamic Relief, and she's discussing how climate change is going to rapidly impact the way pilgrims will perform Hajj in the future. This is quite worrying. Um, So we'll be speaking to her about how exactly is climate change going to be affecting those um, pilgrims that are going to be doing Hajj. She'll be joining me 
at 10 past 10. Then I'm going to be joined by a very well-known name and voice uh, by many that listen into the show, and particularly the Rise and Shine show this morning. Um, you would have heard him. It is no other than local entrepreneur and community activist Bilal Hussein. Now, Bilal is doing the Three Peak Challenge. Yes, people, Three Peaks Challenge. And this is, he's going to be trekking on the three highest mountains in Scotland, England and Wales. Now, this is 23 miles of climbing. It is a a very, very high ascent and it's 24 hours to complete the challenge. And the reason why he's doing this is to provide and raise awareness of a local charity, um, a respite charity, for um, local children. It is a charity that supports special care for disabled children in our community. So he's doing this to raise money in order to create a dedicated centre in Luton for the needs of these children. Very, very humble and worthy cause. And he's going to be joining me after um, 10.30 to share with us this challenge. I'm really quite excited um, to speak to him because I think climbing up the steps for me is hard work. (laughs) And this brother is not doing steps. He's He's doing a lot of steps, but on not one mountain, but three. And these are the three highest mountains in Scotland, England, and Wales in 24 hours, people. It's Ben Nevis, Scaffold Pikes and Snowdon in 24 hours. And the whole purpose of this is to help raise awareness and fundraise for a local disability and respite service phobe. And he's looking to raise um, up to 20,000 is his target, mashallah. And this is a service that I think is very well known to many, many individuals across generations, across Luton. Um, And it's definitely a worthy cause because from what I have known as a teacher at uh, Luton Sixth Form College, I've had the pleasure of knowing so many young people who've actually volunteered at Friends of Bright Eyes. There isn't anybody, any community activist that I don't know of in Luton that hasn't volunteered at Friends of Bright Eyes. So this is a charity that is very, very dear to many, many people, Um, people that have actually had family members. Uh, be involved and uh, be given the care or they've used uh, or they've provided voluntary service um, at this space. It has been a wonderful, wonderful space for young people to gain um, lots and lots of skills and actually help them get to university as well through the work experience they've done at Friends Bright Eyes. An absolutely fabulous, fabulous service um, and uh, a need for our disabled children in our community. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to um, Bilal very, very shortly. Now, Bilal has also come back from Hajj, mashallah, with his wonderful wife. um, And I believe his children also uh, participated in part of the journey too. So he will be, I be really looking forward to finding out his experience and his thoughts on Hajj and climate change and why we really need to kind of take note of how this is going to impact the future it already is. Climate change is greatly impacting the future. Um, but now it's also going to be impacting on the way 
um, we perform Hajj too. So I'll be joined by Maria Zafar very, very shortly. Now, after 11.30, I'm joined by another tremendous guest, um, and he's going to be discussing the contribution of Muslims and South Asians in World War II. Um, and I'm going to be d- discussing this with military historian and former University of Birmingham lecturer and social political commentator Jahan Mahmood. Now, Jahan is a historian who's also a counter-terrorism specialist. He's advised the Home Office and the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. He'll be joining me today to share the military contribution and influence of Muslims in the war effort of World War II and how this knowledge can counteract the negative narrative around immigration, Islamophobia and racism in 2019 Brexit Britain. We will also be discussing his role around counterterrorism, in particular the prevent st- strategy and why it hasn't been effective in engaging with Muslims and why it needs to change. We'll also be talking to him and why he feels it's critical for more Muslims to engage with the media professionally and represent their voices and narrative. So that will be Jahan Mahmood, who's going to be joining us from Birmingham today. And he'll be speaking to me about some very, very um, interesting, but very, very significant points and topics. Um, we're going back in history. We're looking at history and look and looking towards the future. And he's going to be sharing his knowledge um, in a variety of areas, and in particular, his work around military history and the way it's impacting the world that we live in today. So looking forward to speaking to Jahan Mahmood um, on um, the Urban Cube this morning. Now, guys, if you want to get involved with any of the conversations that we're having today, um, we are on Facebook as well. The um, the camera isn't live on Facebook. However, you can leave your comments on the comment box and anything that you want to um, find out further information about or any questions that you have around um, climate change and Hajj, um, phobes, and this uh, the Friends of Bright Eyes charity and disability, as well as this challenge that uh, Bilal Hussein is going to be doing, or anything around um, counter counter terrorism, prevent and military history with Jahan Mahmood um, as well. So lots of conversations um, to be had on the show today. Now, it is uh, 10 past 10, and I'm going to be joined by a very, very delightful young lady who is playing a very significant role in, in working as a community and campaign uh, coordinator Um, at uh, Islamic Relief. I've had the pleasure of speaking to her in uh, the past about her role in Islamic Relief and how to use this, her role, to engage the wider community on social issues that matter to all of us. Now, today she's going to be talking to us about a very, very significant part of our faith, and that is Hajj. And, And this is a uh, a duty upon all Muslims, and it's uh, for many. It's already aspired for others. It's the way they're waiting for the call to go on, go towards Hajj. Now we've had many of our brothers and sisters return from Hajj. Um, mashallah, so Hajj Mubarak to all of those that had the blessed, made the blessed journey. But what's what's been very very interesting to hear and read in the press of late is the fact that Hajj 
and our journey and performing Hajj is actually um, becoming quite worrying in the sense in relation to climate change and the impact it's going to have on the um, the way we perform Hajj outdoors. On the line this morning is Maria Zafar from Islamic Relief to tell us more. Assalamu alaikum, Mar- Maria. Walaikum salam. Thank you so very much for joining with us, Maria. I understand that you are a very, very busy lady, so thank you for giving <laughs> me your time. Um, Maria, it's, um, I'm very, very quite concerned about how climate change can actually pose danger for Muslim pilgrimages. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd just like to start off by saying that, you know, climate change is not something distant. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect all aspects of human activity as mm-hmm. well. Um, and our pilgrimage, Hajj, is no exception. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we're looking at here is just to keep it very brief is that, you know, we understand that Hajj has certain rituals which are physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and while walking long distances, most of them it's outside. Um, and climate change will affect that. We've been working, Islamic Khalif has been working with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Mm -hmm. Massachusetts Institute of Technology and what we found is that with the temperatures increasing um, and climate change obviously taking effect um, the temperature and the humidity in Saudi will become so much so that the actual pilgrimage itself would would become hazardous to humans Um, and you know we just want to reiterate this fact to our Muslim community and sort of say you know as as much as it is our faith to look after the planet Mm -hmm. we need to recognize that if we don't take action things that we love and cherish about our religion and our sort of um, duty as Muslims will also be affected. Um, So that's the sort of crux of it. And do you think this is a bit of a wake-up call for all of us as Muslims, as uh, I mean, generally as humans, but as Muslims, that, you know what, this is going to really, really affect our, uh, you know, one of the most significant elements of our faith. And um, But what can we actually do about this, though? How can we as Muslims, um, like, reduce or slow down climate change? So essentially, there's two things you can do. So the first obvious one is reach out to your local MP and sort of say to them, what can we do? What are the finances and policies that you can put in Mm -hmm. place, you know, urging the government to sort of put climate change on top of the political agenda. Mm -hmm. But on the sort of more day-to-day basis, we need to recognize that this is a global planet. What Mm -hmm. we do each and every day is having an effect on countries all over the world. So things like, let's reduce our meat, let's go walking. You know, it it sounds like... How is this having an effect? But essentially everything adds up and we need to sort of see the Muslim community take leadership on this Mm -hmm. and sort of be advocates for climate change, as is prescribed by a religion, really. Now, in Ramadan, I saw a real drive to make Ramadan as green, as clean as possible. But since Ramadan is over, it seems to be back to our normal um, routine again. Um, And I understand Islamic Relief has been quite um, at the forefront of trying to keep this change, this, this lifestyle continuous. So what advice would you give to somebody struggling? Is there anybody, is there anywhere that you can actually access information on how to be more climate friendly. Um, so right now we're seeing this amazing shift and if you look across the media there is not a platform that does, is not talking about climate change. Information is rampant, all you need to do is as simple as typing to Google, how can I be more eco-friendly? How can I be, go onto our website Islamic Relief, we have lots of content on there which sort of talks about climate change and faith but I think on a day-to-day basis, is we're not asking you to go vegan overnight. We're not mm. asking for that. We're asking for small changes that you can make in your lifestyle that will have a sort of effect on the bigger global scale. And it's recognizing the sort of, I think often we forget the link. A lot of us, well, for me especially being South Asian, I have family in Pakistan. Mm. It's recognizing that making the link as well, that what I'm doing every day is going to have an effect. 
worldwide, but also the people that I care about overseas. And it's making that link. Because over uh, last weekend, we saw the Amazon rainforest mm -hmm. fires, which was that had really shocked a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of started creating conversations, it started getting people to think and be a little bit more conscious about what you know, the changes in their lifestyle. Um, but I never would have associated Hudge and climate change. I really never honestly, I'm being very, very honest here. And mm -hmm. it's actually made me feel a lot more aware, self aware, of what's mm -hmm. going on around me. So that fire and this article, mm -hmm. I, it, for me, it's had an impact, but I don't know, it'd be lovely to find out from my listeners if you've, if you've um, faced a change, if you've changed your lifestyle or hearing this has had uh, an impact on you. Now, what's significant is, is the fact that when, because we're following the lunar calendar, Hajj will be um, in the summertime um, in some years. So this is the reason why you're, have, you're quite concerned and this research has been done. It's like when it does hit summertime, um, that's when it's going to get very, very serious. Yeah, so essentially what the research shows is that, you know, more years than not, the temperature will exceed the extreme mm. danger threshold. And I don't want to get involved too much in the technicalities here, but what that means is that just for humans to function in that temperature will be very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and it's no, it's, it's no surprise or shock to anyone that hydro already is very hard already yes. at this moment. But with the added temperature and the humidity, it's going to be as much as we're going to want to do you know, fulfill our pilgrimage, mm. it's just going to be not possible given the circumstances. This is why we need to take a proactive effort, not just for ourselves, but if we want our, you know, our children, our, mm. the future generations to be able to do the pilgrimage, mm -hmm. essentially. Now, has this information gone over to, um, uh, you know, Hajj itself and those people that are in charge of the space of um, when Hajj is performed? Are they aware of this information and are they putting strategies in place to make it safer? Essentially, what all I can advocate for is that this is a global issue and okay. every single country has a responsibility, mm -hmm. much as the UK has a responsibility, Saudi has a responsibility and every country needs to get on board with this. Mm -hmm. um, this is the thing, we can't exclude, uh, sort of exclude and blame or whatnot, everybody has a stake in this and everybody should be taking action. Now, um, Maria, your role is quite significant in educating uh, communities. Um, what other areas are you actually looking at to campaign um, and mobilise? and the Muslim community? So we have lots going on um, and one of the ways I think you could definitely get involved is by keeping up to date with our social media. We have the sort of youth, global youth strike happening later this month. We're going to be engaged in the global strikes. Um, so it's all about keeping aware of what's sort of present in your surrounding areas. We have things from like, you know, eco-friendly lunches to discussion tables and lots of things going on, not just exclusively to Islamic Relief. Mm -hmm. But I'd say if you want to be involved with Islamic Relief, you want to be sort of involved in our campaigning, it's as simple as dropping us a line on social media or, you know, even reaching out to me if that's all, if that's what, the, what people want to do. But definitely sort of get on with this the sort of momentum at the moment. You know, we can all be Greta Thunbergs in our own lives. We can all do something for the environment, really. And how can people actually get in touch with Islamic Relief? What is their full Twitter? Is it Twitter handle or social handles for it? So we have a social media platform. So it's simple as tweeting at us or, you know, I have my own social media handle. So all you have to do is go on our website or on our, e on our social media and drop us a text or a line. Could you tell us what... What is the actual line? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the email uh, email to sort of get in contact is campaign mm -hmm. at islamic-relief.org.uk. 
that's if you want to have if you have any inquiries or if you want to partake in any campaigns with me um that that's the sort of email to get in contact with but a more easier way is just to drop us a line on social media if that's if you want a sort of urgent response fantastic now i understand you're heading back to work uh this morning yes. thank you so very much for joining <laughs> us and actually me. telling us or making us aware of how uh, climate change could pose a danger for for Muslim pilgrims really going uh, performing Hajj. Thank you so very much, Maria, for joining Thank us this so morning. Thank you so much, You're very, Bye. very welcome. Bye. Take care, Saigon. So that was Maria Zafar joining us from Islamic Relief to tell us um, and make us aware of how climate change can actually impact um, uh, our Hajj and performing Hajj, um, especially when performing the... Um, rituals outside and um it and it will get very very hot and we already know that a lot of our elderly perform hajj as well and we have our disabled brothers and sisters that go out there too to perform hajj so these are conditions that may be very very difficult um for them to kind of uh perform a successful hajj so she's contacting uh well, she's on the show today to actually um inform us and give us some Give us some insight to what this research has been, um, has basically suggested. And the research is clearly indicating that um, in the future, Hajj will become quite difficult to perform because of the heat. Um, if it's in the summertime, then it is um, the heat will impact, impact our impact the role um folks you're listening to um the urban cube and i've actually been um taken i've been i was I've, do you know what i'm in absolute um i shouldn't be surprised i actually shouldn't be surprised about what i'm hearing because it's a global issue but it's really made me quite concerned concerned because we often hear of unfortunately incidents in at hajj um, where, you know, there's been stampedes, um, people have got hurt, um, and just imagine it being extremely hot in that condition and, and, and being in a stampede, um, is, is quite, quite worrying. I've got Brother Tarek in the studio. Um, Brother Tarek, uh, I was just listening to Sister Maria talking about the impact of climate change and Hajj. Um, listening into that, what's your thoughts? To be honest, exactly uh, what you're just saying there. In regards the the whole concept of uh, the heat getting mm. getting uh, getting worse and worse, uh, I was actually speaking to Brother Bilal, who you'll be speaking to mm. uh, after the break, uh, regarding Hajj. He actually just uh, came back a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I was asking him the question around how Hajj generally. Uh, you mean having spoken to a number of people uh, who well, you mean have been preparing to go to Hajj, come back and having spoken about Hajj, uh, and how uh, uh, kind you mean how kind of physically uh, demanding that journey is, mm. and it's really. Uh, a difficult journey for many uh, but brother bilal's uh, thoughts to be honest were completely the opposite he actually felt physically the journey isn't so difficult what wow. he was saying was there's actually a really really uh, spiritual uh, difficulty in the journey mm -hmm. itself obviously when you go there uh, and he was talking about the concept of dua and he goes normally when you pray you may make mm -hmm. dua for five minutes maybe ten minutes in ramadan it might be slightly longer he goes on the day of our father when you're there for you mean five to maybe six hours and you continuously just making the war he goes spiritually and mentally it's really mm -hmm. overpowering and sometimes really difficult 
But to be honest, he was saying from a physical perspective, as long as you're, uh, you mean, mildly physically fit, mm-hmm. uh, and again, Bilal, I think, has to be doing the three weeks challenge. Of course. Uh, you, he's saying, and, and, and you go from Europe, to be honest, I think mm-hmm. he was saying there's actually... <coughs> a benefit in being in the European camp sites because obviously right. there's different camps and the access that you have uh, being a lot closer and stuff it's actually not that difficult mm-hmm. but saying that as uh, uh, I mean listening to Mario's conversation you mean with I think sometimes what we don't get to uh, understand as as individuals out there is the the impact that uh, I mean we have on our, on on our community and our society and the weather itself. And again, even if you look at the weather now here in the UK, uh, the summers are sometimes really really hot and we can't take it. Where the winters are really really cold and we can't take it. And it's the both the, the extremes. British weather can't make its <laughs> mind up. Um, but she has made me think. Um, very deeply about my actions and um, how eco-friendly I need to be. And I really am kind of working on how to improve my lifestyle um, because uh, it's it's just getting really, really worrying when you hear, uh, when you read and you hear uh, news uh, stories telling you that we've only got 12 years to kind of try and create a slow change. Well, it's a slow change. It will be a very, very slow change. But yeah, to reduce, definitely. to reduce um, the, uh, the impact, uh, is that feasible? Is that possible? Are we taking it seriously? We are seeing a number of um, you know supermarkets changing their rulings around plastic and making fresh fruit plastic free. Um, plastic straws have been replaced by paper straws and even workplaces are now encouraging people to kind of you know bring their own flasks and 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 reusable cups to work and and walk more lots to talk about um, which I'm going to be talking and sharing with brother Bilal who's going to be joining me after the break um, to talk about his three peaks challenge but also going to be talking about his experience at Hajj and his charity work too thank you very much brother Tarek for um, contributing there uh, folks you're still listening to the Urban Cube we are heading off to a break after the break i'm as as promised joined by brother bilal hussein he's a local entrepreneur entrepreneur got to say that right and community activist and we'll be talking about his challenge and his journey from hajj assalamu alaikum join me straight after this inspire fm on 105.1 fm catch a creative vibe on the urban cube with sister shamiza Good morning and assalamu alaikum. It is 10.30 exactly, Monday 2nd of September and you're listening to me, Shamiza, taking all the way up to 12 o'clock on the Urban Cube. We're going live and direct to the lovely folk of Luton surrounding areas and to the awesome listeners in Peterborough on Salaam Radio and Sheffield and Link FM. You can catch the conversation on Facebook Live as well. We don't have the camera on in the studio. It's just uh, just the um, the little the little sign that we put up for Urban Cube. But you can leave any comments on the comment section regarding today's show. Repeat of the show will be 8pm as always and you can catch us also on a podcast uh, which goes out straight after the show. Now, this morning, I've had the pleasure of being joined by Maria Zafar, who is from Islamic Relief, and she is the community and campaigns coordinator in mobilising local community, local and national communities around social issues um, and fundraising. And one of the is- is issues that she talked about
about on today's show was Hajj and climate change. Uh, and interestingly, bringing talking about how climate change is going to affect the way uh, pilgrim, pilgrims will be um, uh, performing their rituals in um, uh, Mecca. So she talked about how uh, research in America, um, which was done in California, actually um, discussed how climate change is increasing the risk in coming years and the conditions of heat and humidity in the areas of Saudi Arabia where the Hajj takes place could worsen to the point that people face extreme danger and from harmful health effects. Now, 20 to 30 hours um, is spent actually being outside in the open air. And when Hajj hits the summertime, it will be extremely hot for the elderly, well, just a normal, healthy individual. But just imagine the elderly and the sick um, having to perform in that heat. Now, she has talked to us about it being a global issue and how we should be working together as communities, as Muslims, to try and change our lifestyles. So because our lifestyles do have a ripple effect on um, on like climate change so she spoke to us and kind of how what what where we what we should be doing and and how we should be actually prioritizing environmental and eco issues um, as something to kind of present to our local MPs and make this conversation at the forefront. Um, recently, you may have seen, a, if, you're, if you've observed social media or if you're watching the news, um, the number of fires across America and the Amazon rainforest, South America, the Amazon rainforest. And it was really, really, really heartbreaking to see. Um, but this is not just exclusive to the rainforest. There's been fires across the world. We've also just seen um, my thoughts and prayers to um, the um, to the communities and citizens of the Bahamas. We've just seen a awful um, hurricane there and flooding happening presently, and um, it's just continuous. And um, and as Maria rightly said, as Muslims, we should be considering um, the environment um, as our responsibility, um, because uh, you, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Um, was somebody that really embraced the environment um, in, his, in his journey as becoming a Muslim. Mashallah. So, uh, folks, you're listening to The Urban Cube. If you'd like to join in with any of the conversations discussed on the show, then feel free to do so. WhatsApp me on 07779481822. We're talking climate change on the show today. We're also talking about the mountains, but three of the highest mountains in Scotland and England and Wales. It's the Three Peaks Challenge being done in 24 hours by no other than Bilal Hussein. Bilal will be joining me very, very shortly to share his experience of Hajj and, and the environment as well. He'll be joining me in about five minutes or so. And then he'll also be talking about his Three Peaks Challenge after um, 1030 Sorry, after 11 as well. After 11.30, I'm joined by a, uh, a very, very interesting and poignant guest. He is no other than Jahan Mahmoud. Now, Jahan is a military historian 
who is also a uh, former lecturer at Birmingham University. And he is uh, somebody who has advised the Home Office and also the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst. Now, he'll be joining me today to share the military contribution and influence of Muslims in the war effort of World War II and how this knowledge can counteract the negative narrative around immigration, Islamophobia and racism in 2019 Brexit Britain. Um, We will also be discussing his role around the counter-terrorism prevent strategy and why it hasn't been effective in engaging with Muslims and why it needs to change and also why he feels it's critical for more Muslims to engage with the media professionally and represent their voices and narrative. Interestingly enough, um, yesterday it was 80 years since World War II um, and so it's going to be very interesting to hear um, Jahan's knowledge and understanding on how 80 years ago Muslims actually helped fight for the freedoms of this country and democracy is a really interesting thing at the moment especially in light of um, Boris Johnson's decision um, and uh, which I'm going to talk a little bit later after 11.30 but just before then um, we're joined by no other than a local entrepreneur and community activist brother Bilal Hussein. Assalamu alaikum Bilal. Walaikum salam. How are you, Shamaza? I'm very, very well. Now, brother, it doesn't seem uh, very long ago you were on the Rise and Shine show this morning with a brother Tarek. So thank you for joining us back again. Um, no problem, no problem. Now, uh, before we talk about your Three Peaks Challenge, which we're going to do after 11, um, we wanted to kind of um, get your experience uh, of Hajj um, in light of what we've been speaking to Maria Zafar about and the fact that... Um, you know, it's going to be quite hazardous, Hajj's, in, in respect of climate change. So did yes. you... Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, I returned two weeks ago. Mashallah. And I briefly spoke to Tariq this morning about my Hajj experience. And I didn't really touch on um, the environmental side of it mm. with, with Tariq because I was saving it for your show. Thank um, you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I echo everything Maria said. Um, uh, there's a lot, a lot, um, a huge amount of plastic waste um, in in Hajj. Um, I mean, it's a it's a phenomenon. I mean, I've not seen that much plastic um, ever wow. in, in 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 one place. Okay. It, it was and plastic waste, I should say, um, and this ain't being recycled this is just left you know on the side of the road it's just there um and it's a phenomenal amount i mean i'm talking um uh, and i distinctly remember this because me and the guy i was with when we were we were walking um on, on the day of arifat um people get confused because they expect um when they go to arifat this big mountain the mount mm-hmm. of arifat mm-hmm. But in fact, Jabli Rahma, as it's known, the Mount of Mercy, um, is a small little hill, but it's actually a big plain. Mm-hmm. So it's a big open area with right. tents dotted around. Um, and but we wanted to see the mountain, so or the Mount of Arafat. So we were walking down, and as you walk past the European camps, you walk um, through the Asian camps, and where they actually collect all the bottles. Mm-hmm. 
and we were, I would say, halfway up my shin deep in plastic bottles and plastic and paper waste. Wow. Um, and it was uh, it was a sight I'd never forget. Um, Why were you so shocked it, to see that? What were, what were you think, assuming? I, I, I don't think I had this. I didn't think about it. I, you don't think about it, mm, do you? I mean, no. the thing is, when you're going hard, you're obviously on, on a spiritual journey, mm. so you're not, your mind isn't really ready. I think the reason why it hit me more than anything is because of the huge eco drive at the minute, just mm-hmm. generally, around the globe, um, and, and, and so they should be. Mm-hmm. And it was just the amount of, I, I just, you just not seen. Mm-hmm. It kind of hit home, the whole mm-hmm. eco drive thing, mm-hmm. thinking, oh my God, you know, we shouldn't be using um, this one's plastic and all the rest of it, which, to be honest, at home, we've been pretty good at over the last few months. But it's just shocking. You, it's just, you just do not expect that amount of plastic. And literally, we were like we were kicking through plastic bottles to walk. It was just, it was crazy. You know how you're doing in, mm. when you were a kid in autumn and yeah. you're kicking leaves. Gosh, it was like that. Literally, it was a, a crazy. So nobody amount. was taking responsibility of um, disposing of the plastic effectively. I it was just I, thrown away. Ab- absolutely, it was thrown. And obviously, the, the authorities were picking it up and mm-hmm. getting rid of it. They were doing a great job of getting rid of the plastic. But I don't think that's the point. Mm-hmm. I think the point is there must be a more, a better way of managing mm-hmm. the waste uh, rather than having plastic bottles, for example. I don't know whether we can, they could do water fountains and mm-hmm. encourage people to use. And I think it's absolutely, it's really quite saddening to hear, but the fact is it's something I've never heard before. You've brought this to our uh, you, um, knowledge and I think it, something does need to be done about it and so this is a great starting point now you're somebody that's quite uh, impactful and influential so who what would you do about it who would you contact um, to try and create this change uh, uh, and trying to encourage um, future programs to kind of you know cut back on the use of plastic who should be taking the I responsibility think- Firstly, we all have a responsibility because mm-hmm. with anything, with any change um, and through our history, it always starts at the bottom. You mm-hmm. have these great leaders, you know, who can talk about change and all the rest of it. But I, I always feel that change kind of starts at the bottom mm-hmm. uh, and our, our own habits need to change generally. Just as people, our habits change and those habits influence people above us. And it's then like a ripple effect. Um, I think that's important, understanding the, the the need to be conscious about the amount of plastic mm. we use, uh, and that was the biggest factor because um, it was literally thrown as you would rubbish, and that's that's not the mentality. You can't be. It, it's just not the way. It's, we're we're going to get anywhere like this. It's just not going to happen. And you wouldn't we're expect talking. that in a space like Hajj, which is sacred, and this is about your yeah. spiritual yeah. cleansingness um, and being closer to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And then, like <coughs> cluttering this space, just seems well, I, really I quite. Think, I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think people meant to do that. Okay. I think because it became. A, a a habit so right. they saw a pile of plastic and they just threw it because oh. it's all they felt that was the, the bin that was where it should go yeah, absolutely absolutely mm. so i don't think it's a case of and it, there are people who are you know aren't as educated about it and of course all the rest of it i get that but you were talking about a a concentration of mm. i think it's the unofficial the official figures are something like three and a half million 
but they say the unofficial figures are closer to four and a half million. Wow. So and it's a concentration what? of four and a half million people in an area wow. at one time wow. in sort of 50 degree heat who want water, who need water. Yes. And they are drinking water, you know, like, like, you, like you do. So I think that's the starting point as a, as a community, um, global community. We need to change the way we think. Um, and the way we see plastic. And then we have really good NGOs like Islamic Relief mm-hmm. and Maria, who you were speaking to earlier, um, who we can sort of lobby um, and, 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 and use their leverage to lobby, uh, you know, against, okay, what can we do mm-hmm. to support this as, a, as, a, as, as, you know, as an NGO, for example, mm-hmm. uh, support the Hajis. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean... Um, another very prominent figure, uh, Mr. Shahid Koyas, uh, funding, he was also at Hajj this year. So I, as we were walking back from uh, Jabal al-Rahma, uh, I bumped into Shahid. So I was like, oh, Shahid, mashallah. So uh, he also, um, you know, he was there. And he, he, I remember him commenting on the same thing. Wow. Um, uh, Shahid Koyas, that is. So he, um, you know, and, and, this, and it was very evident. It was like in your face. Um, uh, and it was sad. It was sad. But then you think, well, what do people do? How do you manage this? And there isn't really an answer. I can't give an answer to that. And I'm, I'm sure you can't as well. Shumai. No. And I think you're um, correct but, in saying is how is it to be managed? And these are things to look into in the future is knowing who to correspond with and how to support them in putting something, um, you know, sustainable strategic I'm losing all my words today and sustainable um, and something that they can stick with but I'm sure you're not the only person that would have noticed that you, you've said Shahid has as well was there anything else um, environmentally that you felt was quite um, n- noteworthy or or um, something to possibly look into for the future for Hajis I mean the I think the authorities do a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of negative talk about the, the the Saudis and all the rest of it, but to be honest, I think they do a great job, um, and they were doing a great job in in accommodating and facilitating as much as they could. Um, the uh, food waste is a problem, okay. um, especially when you're in Mina. Mm-hmm. Uh, food waste and just general recycling, uh, and how people manage. Their, their recycling uh, or their waste I should say mm-hmm. um, they were the key areas when we talk about the environment I noticed mm-hmm. other than that if I'm completely honest I thought that the, 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 the authorities like I said they do a fantastic job but there is a huge concentration of people I mean come on three and a half four million people As, that is a lot of people and, and it yeah, seems and to be more and more people are, are making the pilgrimage um, every year Mashallah, um, and may this calling be given to many more. Now Inshallah. you you went with your family, and um, the experience must have been absolutely tremendous for them. Any advice you could give to any of our listeners that may be uh, be performing Hajj um, next correction year? Correction from earlier, because I was listening to you earlier, and I, I, we did not take the kids. Oh, did you not? I, I swear, did I see the children? Was it? Uh, that must have been their other trip, because you guys did a trip prior to um, yeah, going to yeah, Hajj. Yeah, we okay. were on the show, weren't we, Nisa? Yes. Um, no, so it was, um, they, they didn't go, it was just me and Sarah went, uh, me and the wife. Um, Mashallah. My advice, oh God, it's a, oh God, uh, advice would be, try and go as early as possible, as okay. quick as you can to Hajj. It's okay. been, um, 
uh, go when you're young. Mm-hmm. Well, you're relatively fit, I should say, mm-hmm. um, and and go and fulfill. If you've got the means, go and fulfill your obligation as quick as possible, um, and you will not regret it. <laughs> you have no regret. Uh, go as soon as you can. Like I said, for the Europeans, um, this is a, a bit of a sticky point. Uh, for the the European camps are generally better maintained mm-hmm. during the days uh, for for the days of Hajj. Mm-hmm. The hotels in 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 Medina and and um, the, in Mecca are generally good as well for the people who travel from Europe. Um, even I would say that you know you don't have to go for some plush VIP package. Just mm-hmm. a normal sort of general package gets you in in good places. And the Europeans generally. Are well looked after. So, like I was telling Tariq earlier, those elements of it for me were not, you know, yes, they were hard. I mean, a three-hour walk in 50-degree heat wow. from Mina to Makkah mm-hmm. is is not easy. Mm-hmm. However, uh, you know, you you wouldn't say it was. Uh, oh my God, you know, I I couldn't get up for two days or whatever. It's alhamdulillah, you're fine. Um, so for Europeans, it's not as challenging as it is for other other countries and other other continents um mm-hmm. the spiritual and mental aspect for me was the challenging part that was yeah another <laughs> level of difficult um so yeah that's my advice try and go as soon as possible um because what we're seeing is we're seeing like oh whilst i was growing up i always associated hajj with the elderly it was more Absolutely. the elderly that went to do Hajj that you didn't, I, I didn't see or hear of anyone in their 20s or 30s going. And we're seeing a lot more younger individuals going. But it does make a lot of sense that to go when you're a lot healthier so that you can perform, especially if the, if the, if the weather or climate change and it gets really, really hot. And it will do because Hajj will be in future years in the summertime and it will get very, very warm. So it just yeah. makes a lot of sense to try and do that as soon as, especially if you're an older person, um, to mm-hmm. go out. But, you know, um, it's whatever is your calling as well. Not everybody has the means um, and is no, able absolutely. to leave. So, you know, so, uh, you know um, um, the means is, uh, is not cheap, even mm. even on the cheapest packages, I should say, that it's not. Um, it's, 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 it's expensive. You know? Is it getting more and more expensive? And From what I've been I'm, told, yes. I mean, I was wow. comparing what we paid compared to what people paid five years ago, three years ago. And okay. It's, it's, it's a lot of money. It's, it is a lot of money. But um, uh, saying that, if you have the means, I suggest go as soon as possible. Again, exactly like you, Shemaiza, we I had I was brought up the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to look and be a, this pious Uncle G, you know, and mm-hmm. they were the ones who went Hajj. But, you know... Uh, the best way to get close to the Almighty is to uh, perform Hajj, in my opinion. So when you're, you know, you you may be someone who's like me, just your average Joe, and uh, you know, it's, it's the best time for you to, when you're fit and maybe <laughs> generally young, mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a great time to go. Has Hajj become? A bit of a tourist spot. I've read an article which suggested this and it kind of really um, shocked me that people were seeing it. Um, there are certain people that saw it as more of a, a holiday destination rather than a spiritual calling or a factor of, for, uh, as part of their religion. I, I mean, I, I mean, 
<laughs> Am I being I controversial it, here? I no, I no, I, I don't think you are. I, I get that. I, I, I can with all the selfies and all the video yeah, blogging. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I mean, I, I'm not someone who, who shies away from the camera and you know interviews and stuff. I'm fine with it. But one thing I was really uncomfortable. You notice on my, I mean, be friends on Facebook. I haven't got any pictures from Hajj. I just, mm -hmm. For me, I, I'm just not comfortable with it. I just didn't like the idea of sort of this. You know, I think there's one picture I posted on Eid just to say Hajj Mubarak and even Mubarak to everyone, and that was it yeah, of me and Sarah. But I didn't personally. I'm not comfortable with it. But when people call it a a holiday or like a destination, I I see what they're saying because of the hotels and. Um, like I said, the Europeans, and if you do have a bit of money from other countries, you, you Hajj is very comfortable. You know, you're living, mm -hmm. you're staying in the best hotels, mm -hmm. you're, you're 10 for air conditions, you get breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, so it is, you do have all the, the means to make it a, quite a comfortable Hajj. Uh, or you can, and I know other people who paid extortionate amount of money to kind of <laughs> stay very close to the Jamarat where you do the stoning and you know going around and doing the wash in a buggy and all those kind of things so I've heard wow. of these stories I've okay. not yeah yeah in an electric buggy like a scooter almost so you know there are things like that that can be done but to I mean, make to make know, the journey I, I, easier if you've got the means to then people will yeah I, okay. I mean I, I'm not qualified enough to qual you know, comment on those things mm -hmm. but I, I see the point I see why people can would say well would write about that and suggest that but mm. again you're going hajj it's about you uh, the almighty and your mm. your journey as you know and i've seen some journey. utterly tremendous um absolutely um jaw-dropping stories and so humbling where i saw a 96 year old no i think it was a 70 year old son going to hajj with his 96 year old father um side by yeah. side the utterly beautiful there's been cases where people have walked through countries um to perform hajj others have saved lifetimes of savings to perform hajj to make it possible that that, that beauty and humility is is tremendous um and it's so uh, such, it sets such a beautiful example to the rest of us um, as well and it just kind of makes you, it gives you, inspires you and, and those Absolutely. stories so really, the, really are quite something Yeah, so that's the flip side isn't it we can talk mm. about the holiday destination for people who have the means and all the rest of it, but the flip side is I saw so many people so, so many people who saved a lifetime to go on this journey mm -hmm. and the really old, frail men and ladies um, some have brought the kids along because they had no choice um, and some fascinating stories I got to speak to loads of people as you do um, and um, for me it's any excuse to have a chat with anybody <laughs> so I you know I got spoke, spoke to lots of people and um, there were some fantastic stories some really inspiring stories and it, it all it does it boosts your mind mm. while you're there it boosts your mind it, it strengthens your belief and um, on the flip side yes you know there, there are those people who you know, work so so hard to do this once in a lifetime journey. Um, what was it like for you? What What was it like for you to see the the actual ummah? Uh, we're heading off to a break, but the actual ummah, the diversity of the ummah. We've got about fifty five seconds, Bilal. It, it was incredible. It was just, I mean, the day of Arafat. There's a um, 
I don't know if you're allowed to share links, um, mm. but the, the Sheikh Umar Suleiman, I was fortunate enough in Masjid Nabi, I prayed on the roof and I got to spend a bit of time with him. Well, what we're going to do is, Bilal, I'm going to carry this story on to the second half of the show, inshallah, where we're going to be talking to you about the Three Peaks Challenge as well as this wonderful experience that you've had at Hajj. Folks, we're heading off to a break. Bilal is going to stay with us on the line. He's calling into the studio, inshallah. If you've got any questions to ask him regarding his experience of Hajj or you want to share your experience of Hajj with us, then please do get in touch. And we're also going to be talking to him about the Three Peaks Challenge through its climbing through of the highest mountains in Scotland, England and Wales. He'll be talking to us about that straight after the break. From us, till then, assalamu alaikum. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programmes from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Catch a creative vibe on the Urban Cube with Sister Shamiza. Good morning and assalamu alaikum. A very good morning to you. It's 11 o'clock and it's Monday 2nd of September. I hope you've had a productive weekend and you're ready for the week ahead. Um, many children, have, uh, I think they're getting ready to get back to school. Have, have your children gone back to school yet mine are going midweek i'm super looking forward to it um i would love to find out what how you're feeling about them going back is it a yay or is it a nay for you folks it is the urban queue with misha miser taking you all the way up to 12 o'clock this morning we've had the pleasure of listening to maria zuffer from the uh, islamic relief charity talking to us about climate change and how that will affect the way um hajis will do hajj in the future because of of um, the hazardous temperatures that uh, if it's performed in summer time. Also joined um, by Bilal Hussein, who's a local entrepreneur and community activist. He was talking to us about his experience of performing Hajj and also shared with us the, uh, his, uh, his, uh, the shock of seeing mountains of plastic just discarded. Um, and just he was a little bit concerned on how that was going to be managed. Now, Bilal will be joining us uh, very, very shortly in about a minute or so's time. Time to talk to us a little bit more about his experience of Hajj, but also about the Three Peaks Challenge from one mountain of Arafat to three mountains he'll be climbing to help raise uh, much needed funds for a local charity called Friends of Bright Eyes. Um, after speaking to Bilal, I'll be joined by another guest over the phone after 11.30 and it will be a local, uh, well, not a local guest. Uh, I do beg your pardon. He is going to be talking to us all the way from Birmingham. It is Jahan Mahmood, who is a host. He is a a historian. Um, his specialism is military history, and he's also a counterterrorism specialist who advised the Home Office and Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst. He'll be joining me today to share the military contribution and influence of Muslims in the war effort of World War II and how this knowledge can counteract the negative narrative around immigration, Islamophobia and increasing racism in 2019 Brexit Britain. We'll be also discussing his role around counterterrorism, um, 
especially in regards to the prevent strategy and why it hasn't been effective in engaging with Muslims and why it needs to change. Plus, he'll be talking to us why he feels it's critical for more Muslims to engage with the media professionally and represent their voices and narrative. Now, if you'd like to join with any of those conversations that we're having today, 07779481822 is the number to WhatsApp us on. Now, back to my guest. Just before the break, I was joined by no other than a local local man, entrepreneur, community activist and all round nice guy and family man. It's no other than Bilal. Assalamu alaikum, Bilal. Oh, he's not on the line. So whilst we get him back on the line, inshallah. Um, uh, once again, I'll be talking to Bilal about his experience of Hajj and also this very exciting, very, very exciting challenge that he's doing, um, which is the Three Peaks Challenge, um, which is climbing three of the highest mountains in Scotland, England and Wales. Um, and that's 23 miles of climbing. And it's a uh, I'm, I need to get this right. I don't know whether it's 30,064 metres, I think it is, uh, in ascent and 24 hours to complete the challenge. The mountains he will be climbing are Ben Nevis, Scaffold Pikes and Snowdon in 24 hours. Wow. And this is to help raise awareness and fundraise for a local disability and respite service phobe. And his purpose, we're going to find out why he's taking this challenge. And it's 24 hours, people, three mountains. Mountains. It takes me forever to get up a pair of steps. And he's actually climbing three mountains in 24 hours. So really, really quite keen to find out um, how he's actually going to manage this. I'm sure you guys are curious too. The whole purpose of this challenge is to um, get him, uh, is to fundraise. So Bilal, are you on the line? I am. I'm here. Sorry. Waalaikum salam, brother. Thank you so very much for joining us back on air. Now, just before the break, we were talking about um, climate change and how it Im- how this is going to affect um, Hajj. And um, you spoke about the plastic uh, mountains that you saw there. That was quite concerning. Um, and then we sort of talked about um, what you, uh, how you um experience the diversity of Hajj and the the diversity and the beauty of the of the different races of Muslims around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean you see everybody, people like the Muslims in like Brazil, Peru, uh Costa Rica, uh, Norwegian Muslims, Swedish Muslims. Um I mean, literally, we were, we were, it's like a, within the group, we were counting the different countries that we'd see. And there was Japanese Muslims, there was, I mean, every single country you can imagine. Um, How did that make you feel when you saw this beautiful it, it, uh, multicultural faith that we have? Uh, did we, I mean, I've, the, the older I've got, it's become the norm and it's now the norm for my children to see Muslims come in all different colours. Whilst I was growing up, I only saw Muslims as Pakistani and they were brown and that's it. Yeah, you're, uh, the only Pakistanis were Muslim. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> How <laughs> ignorant was I? I need to get uh, out more. I was the same. I was absolutely the same. I was only Pakistanis were Muslim. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's like I said, it it, it strengthens your iman. It mm. makes you um, it strengthens your faith. It's, it's massively inspiring. So it actually gets you through the days of Hajj. Wow. Um, um, and it, and it, lack of self reflection and all those things. When you come back, it completely. Um, I want to think, but it does 
it, it, the, the contemplation and reflection is massive. So when you come back, you're a lot more aware of what's going on around you. Mm. Um, so you've changed as a person. You've you feel that you have changed as a person. Um, have I changed as a person? I, did you know what I? I'm not going to say I have. I think I've um, improved certain aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think change is a is a is a is a quite a strong word. Um, especially, and it's quite easy to say as well. I've changed now because I've come back from home. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's it, that's that's between you and the Almighty. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I've I've improved. I've I've absolutely. I'm a lot more aware of what's going on around me mm-hmm. uh, in all aspects of my life, whether that be my my children, my my parents, or just generally like this disability centre that we'll be mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot more aware and conscious of what is happening around me and how. Uh, and because we've seen so many people and so many different people at Hajj, um, you're 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 conscious of you know you, you know how much we have and how little other people. Wow, have. wow! Because you would have seen that disparity. Uh, um, even though everyone is equal in the eyes of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, when we go there, absolutely. we should be all equal. But there is there was a, a bit of disparity that you may have seen too. Now, um, so your your purpose is now a lot different but uh, you've always had purpose mashallah you've always been passionate about giving to others and in particular the the, the needy and uh, mashallah that faith that you've brought that you've developed there you're using that faith from hajj now to climb up these mountains you're climbing up three oh, peaks yes. challenge the three peaks challenge i mean i thought it's one was mad, enough why why three what is going on bilal why three because the the, the national the three peak challenge is a thing, so it's not we're not mad. We're not okay. just doing it because we're a, a bunch of lunatics. Okay, it's so you didn't make thing. it up. We, no, we didn't make it up. Okay. The, the three peak challenge does exist. I'd love to tell you um, that it's a thing and it's only for us, but it's not. It's, it's actually a thing. People do are, are, are crazy enough to do it. Um, why are we doing it? We're doing it because we're just a bunch of, you know, lads from okay. Luton, the Beardy Hikers. The Beardy Hikers. Tell us more. The Beardy Oh, the Beardy Hikers, so it's a, 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 we're all foodies, aren't we? So we watch Hazy Bikers, uh, uh, who who you'd probably heard of, Hazy yes, Bikers. Yes, yes. So why do we, so uh, they, it was a spin on the name of Hazy Bikers. We're all foodies, we like, you know, we watch the Hazy Bikers and we thought, oh, okay, why don't we call ourselves the Beardy Hikers? Um, so that's where the name come from. And then on, we also have another group um, um, who aren't as, who aren't as, <laughs> They're a bit more underground than us to call the Summit Squad, um, and a few of them are are, are pretty good climbers. So they've okay. they, they've done uh, the Ben Nevis scuffle. I don't think that many of them have done all three before, mm-hmm. but they are pretty good at what they do. So they they'll also be joining us. So that's where the name come from. Um, the 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 idea is, you know, um, quite simple. We're we're uh, quite all passionate. Um, very passionate about this disability center that mm-hmm. we're hoping to uh, set up in Luton and uh, supporting Friends of Bright Eyes, as all the listeners know. Uh, it's a fantastic charity um, that offers respite care to children and adults across Luton. Uh, huge, huge demand, huge need for a service like this, mm-hmm. a dedicated service like this. And um, that's basically it. And mm. um, I'm really trying. I know you've got my link. Please, please share, listeners. I'm, I'm Do tell us where people can um, get 
access to this link? Do you have a particular page? Is it called yeah, so Birdie I, uh, Hikers? Uh, it's called, uh, so we have a, a Beardy Hikers page and we're all feeding into it. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you my link. I think I've already sent you. Mm -hmm. um, Tarek also has my link. Uh, please share it on your page, Facebook page or your WhatsApp or whatever it is. Please share it um, so that I'll, the listeners can, can, can hopefully click on and donate. Mm -hmm. um, and how much are you wanting to raise? You've got 7% at the moment, and that's like £1,400. And Yeah, there you go. The, so I, I have a, 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 personal, a personal target of £20,000. So that's your individual is, target? That's my individual target okay. of £20,000. The reason why I've, I've set it quite high compared to others um, is because I'm confident with uh, some of the pledges, pledges I've had as well. Um, that I will reach that target and it will go um, a huge way because the, the overall target is about £100,000. Right. Because um, oh. if you can imagine trying to set up uh, a centre mm. in Luton, um, there's a lot of um, equipment that's required. Okay. Um, so it is quite a big amount, but which is why I've set myself a high target. Mm -hmm. um, ever the optimist. So, yes. I am hoping our listeners, our beloved listeners and users of FOBE uh, and, and families and friends can, can support this uh, fantastic initiative. Now, you're doing this in 24 hours. And when we say 24 hours, you're going to be climbing up one mountain in England. Then you're going to, which will be the uh, scaffold, uh, scaffold so Pike. Um, it's not so we started Ben Nevis. Oh, you're starting at Ben Nevis, yeah, in Scotland. Yeah, start in Scotland at 3 p.m. on Saturday. Okay, 3 p.m. And then we will be down, inshallah, down Snowdon uh, at 3 p.m. on Sunday. So there are 24 hours. That includes travel time. So the 24 hours includes us um, driving from Ben Nevis to Scaffold Pike and then onwards to to Snowdon. And so has this been done in the past? Have people done the Three Peaks Challenge in 24 hours? Uh, there are people who've done it. There's quite a few people who've done it, actually. Okay. Um, but in, um, I did it many years ago when I was in my early 20s. So uh, this so, was many years um, ago, early 20s. You are now moving I'm forward, now, slightly I'm older. I'm now 36. I'm the, now 36, a few kilos heavier. Okay. Um, the joints aren't as good as they used to be, but... Inshallah, it'll be done. It'll but be you've, done along with... What about the training prior to this? Have you had a medical checkup? Because folks listening in, um, <laughs> I wouldn't... Me personally, I wouldn't suggest you just go climbing up mountains unless you've had some no, experience prior and you've done a bit of training. Are you training, Bilal? So as I was telling, telling Darik earlier, um, the best way to train for it is to go hunch. Okay. Go hunch two weeks before. Yeah. Go hunch two weeks before you climb. Because the mental um, stamina... <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, that helps quite a bit. Um, watch what you eat. Make sure you're a few pounds lighter. Mm -hmm. And uh, just go for long walks. Go for as many long walks as you can in your walking boots. And uh, that's the best way to train for it, to be honest. Uh, I know uh, a lot of the guys have been training since November last year. Okay. So they've been, you know, they've been on it. And uh, it's, uh, like I said, it's a fantastic cause. Um, you know, the, the three peaks is just almost like a byproduct of what we're trying to achieve here, just to motivate our donors, the guys listening to the show now, um, uh, motivate them into donating towards something. Um, but the disability centre is is mm -hmm. the cause here, and I think that should be our focus. 
Now, the Disability um, Centre is Friends of Bright Eyes, though, which has a legacy in this town, mashallah, because I mentioned this earlier on in the show that um, as a teacher, I have seen so many young people gaining work experience um, at Friends of Bright Eyes, and those young people have gone on to do tremendous things, even Brother Tarek, um, uh, and we've got Brother Sofian and various other brothers across the community that do such great work. Um, and a lot of their like uh, work experience has come and volunteering has come from Friends of Bright Eyes. It's actually set up so many young men and so many young women to do so many tremendous great things in the future. Would you agree with that, or am I just assuming no, absolutely. There's, there's um, um, Sister Sabah, as you know, mm. uh, um, she's very well known. And there's so many other people. And and the reason why that is, is because the Baraka is in the project. Mm-hmm. The Baraka comes from the project. It's not from these individuals that we're talking about, myself or the Baby Hikers, the Summit Squad, all these other lovely individuals. The Baraka is in the project, which is why it's helped so many individuals in their careers and in 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 you know in, in their lives um because it's such a wonderful blessing and it's such a beautiful thing to be looking after children and adults with disabilities mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful thing um and and it it truly is life changing for not only the individuals that volunteer but mm-hmm. the families and uh, um who use the services mm-hmm. um and and that's the message i want to get across to our listeners today is like it's such a huge, huge um, blessing, this project, and, and, and I really hope um, our listeners support what, what I'm really pleased to see is normally a lot of the project support, which is very worthy and very much needed, seems to be overseas. And we're doing not as much at focusing on our local communities and helping to um, develop uh, projects here. So this is quite refreshing to see. But Bilal, on a personal note, why for you is Phobe so uh, such a valuable service? Um, what is it about Phobe for you that is uh, that is making a difference? I think um, for the disability centre itself, and not just Phobe. I mean, I've known Phobe a long time. I've been a volunteer. I've been a trustee, um, and I know the services. Um, uh, the back end of my, I lost my brother, as I was saying to this morning so sorry to it'll be that. 20 years 20 years this october mm-hmm. to a disability and i know um, the latter part of his, his, his life we did use folk services for a very short period of time um but the disability center the folk disability center is for me my motivation mm-hmm. um because i've experienced it i know the importance of um uh, the respite care and the vital mm-hmm. um services that folk provides um, and how it does impact families uh, and the, the, the service users. Um, so having that personal experience, sharing that story this morning with Tariq uh, and again now, um, that's been my own motivation, the reason why mm-hmm. I feel it's important and the reason why I've been so vocal about it, which generally I'm, I'm not very vocal about uh, projects I'm involved with, but yeah. this one I felt because I'm part of the community mm-hmm. um, uh, and I should share my story and so that people, other service users, understand that they're not alone. Um, and I think that's vital. And I think what's really quite um, poignant is your, in your conversation is the fact that you've said that um, more and more people are needing a service like this. So there are obviously um, 
you know, there's cutbacks in so many services at the moment, which really does trickle down to the most needy and the most vulnerable. And I'm assuming that the, the you know, the disability community and the families uh, affected are um, short of services. Absolutely. Uh, massively. I mean, just with FOB, um, I think it's something like this 40 families who are on the waiting list to use our services. Wow. And this is just in Luton, by the way. 40. Just in Luton, 40. Mm. Um, so you can imagine um, how much, uh, you know, literally bursting at the seams, mm. you know, um, the funding locally, the local government and local council is just isn't there anymore, mm. unfortunately, um, which means there's a lack of services. Uh, which in turn in turn means we can't support or folk can't support the families it, it was or wants to. Um, so it's it's a vital service. Um, just to give you some facts, one in eight uh, people across the UK this is have or are supporting a person who has a disability. That's one in eight of us. Um, that's a huge, a phenomenal number. That is. You know, it's a massive number. Mm. Um, and then it's those people who are, um, I think they say something like um, the, the service users are those who happen to be of the lowest income. I think the, mm -hmm. the national average for income is 19 or 20,000 pound a year. Uh, and that goes down to 15 or thousand pounds for people who have a sibling or mm -hmm. a disability child at, at home because parents probably have to work part time. Um, the expenses are more, and all of those kind of things affect. Um, There's a knock-on effect to so many things, so many levels, but um, the reality is we have people in this town who are in desperate need of our services, of the services of FOB, and this disability centre is uh, is vital. It's absolutely vital that we, we pull this, you know, we pull this off and um, we make it happen so we can deliver the services that these extremely special families um, get. And what's quite significant is the history of phobe. The phobe may never have, uh, have come about if it wasn't for one mother's love for her, for her, her the child that she was caring at that time, um, uh, who had a disability, but there was no services for her, her stepdaughter. And because there wasn't a service available, she began the journey in her front room to provide some service care. And moving on 20 to 25 years, I don't know how old Phobe is, but ever since I've come to Luton, I know of his existence, and it's, I think it's coming up to 18 years now, um, we would never have had a service like this. No, absolutely, absolutely, and this is this is why um, you know uh, I think Elizabeth will be on your on the rate on Inspire in in the next couple of days to share her story. But people like Liz and key uh, elders in our community have you know set the sort of stepping mm -hmm. stone for FOB. Um, and like I said, because it was you know the the, the clean intentions and the baraka in the project the blessing in this project, which is why we are in a situation now that there's waiting lists for people having, you know, wanting to use the services. Um, and I, I truly believe um, with the, uh, the this, this keen sort of, um, these people with keen intentions and the, 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 the blessing in this project, we will get to a position where we can have a des designated disability center um, 
that will support these wonderful families across Luton. Mashallah and inshallah if I can say them both together at the same time. It's a very very worthy a project fundraising that you're doing and inshallah may it um, gain the barakah that it deserves folks if you're just listening in it's 11.22 and I'm speaking to Bilal Hussein who is doing a very very interesting challenge he's doing the three peaks challenge he's not doing it on his own he's got the birdie hikers the birdie I'm saying birdie it's birdie hikers um, accompanying him he's doing the three highest mountains which are in in. One is in Scotland, the other in England and Wales. It's 23 miles of climbing and he has to do this in 24 hours. He's got to complete the challenge in 24 hours, people. And the whole purpose of this challenge is to raise his his uh, way, uh, amount is £20,000. But I'm sure you're going to be able to raise a lot more than that, inshallah. Um, and and this is also in loving memory of um, your dear brother, Hassan Ali Hussein, because um, this is what it says on the, the Just Giving page. There is a Just Giving page, guys. Um, you can actually catch that Just Giving page on the Birdie Hikers. I keep getting that muddled up. I keep saying Birdie because you guys... You sound a bit Irish when you say that. I know, I do. I totally do. (laughs) Do you have an Irish mountain to climb? You need to include that. (laughs) That's what it is. You need to do four mountains. The bird... Do you know what? Say it yourself, Bilal. Say it yourself. (laughs) Say... Hello? The beardy hikers, you say it in your Luton accent. Beardy, beardy. Beardy, beardy hikers. Beardy hikers in it. Yeah, birdie hikers in it. Right, that's what that's what this is all about, mashallah. It's a very, very exciting challenge. Now I want to ask you about your adorable little boys. Have they been helping you with this challenge in any way? And I had the absolute pleasure of having them in the show. And my goodness, they could chat me out of this chair. Um, what have the boys been doing since then? And are they when are they going back to school? They, I think they go back tomorrow. They go back Marshall. tomorrow. So we're kind of, um, we've been obviously busy with you know, completing hard. So Marshall has been blessed with so many lovely, lovely people who've visited us. And uh, since we've been back and lots to, you know, lots of guests and stuff, which has been absolutely lovely. Um, so we've been a bit behind when it comes to school uniforms and getting them ready. Um, but alhamdulillah, they're both good. They're very good. Um, they're not quite looking forward to... Um, School, I think, a bit starts tomorrow mm-hmm. because whilst we've been away, they've been on pure holiday mode over the summer, so they've had oh, a, a great time. Bless. The lab. But um, yes, school tomorrow, um, and they have been sort of promoting it and pushing it with, you know, uh, <laughs> jumbling it all up. So yeah. Oh, bless. Dad, you know, Hassan was telling somebody the other day that Dad, Dad's climbing the highest mountain in the world. <laughs> It's even bigger than Mount Everest. So, that is know. so cool. Uh, Here's your fan. Now, we are heading to the break, Bilal. I want to wish you the very best of luck, inshallah. We will be rolling luck, out um, your challenge. It's definitely a worthy cause. Good luck to the boys and lots of salams to your wonderful wife and your family. And um, inshallah, we look forward to hearing all about it when you on, on your return and look forward to sharing this with our listeners. So, assalamu alaikum. Welcome, Slam. Share the page on your Inshallah, we'll do. Take care. Take care. That was Brother Bilal, and we're heading off to a break. So join me straight after this. This is Inspire on 105.1 FM. Catch a creative vibe on the Urban Cube with Sister Shamiza.
Good morning and assalamu alaikum. Uh, thank you for staying with me on the Urban Cube this morning. It is 11.30 and we will be at We've just got half an hour left of the show this morning. It has been a very interesting show from looking at climate change to climbing the highest peaks um, across Scotland, England and Wales in 24 hours um, with our local uh, entrepreneur, Bilal Hussein, who is actually helping to fundraise for a local uh, charity, a very much needed service and charity called uh, Friends of Bright eyes that many of you will be familiar with because I have seen a number of young people volunteering for this absolutely um, very much needed uh, service so well done and good luck to brother Bilal Hussein who will be doing this trek with the beard the beardy hikers I've got to get it right he says I sounded a little bit Irish when I said that I totally am not Um, the beardy hikers he'll be joining them um, to do this challenge Um, and you can actually catch uh, his Just Giving page on um, Facebook under Birdie Hikers, I think, or even just if if you're if you are friends with him, it's Bilal Hussein. Now he did speak to Brother Tarek earlier on um, about this challenge, and so he'll be sharing further information about this. Um, I think um, after the event as well, in order to continue continue the drive for uh, making this fundraising task, he has around twenty thousand to raise for this centre mashallah and I hope he will raise more because it is a service that's greatly needed in our community of Luton inshallah and it has provided a number of a number of um, service users the respite care that they greatly need now it's a three peaks challenge 2019 um, and Bilal Hussein will be climbing uh, three mountains one in Scotland one in England and one in Wales in 24 hours he has to complete this challenge I'm getting nervous just reading about it how absolutely tremendous and it's just so exciting that um, he's willing to take on this challenge and it's all for a good cause a cause um, yeah, for the local children disabled community in in Luton now um, if you'd like to um, find out more then please please do contact us in the studio and we'll f- send over the link via whatsapp to you now he wasn't the only person I spoke to earlier on today I also had the pleasure of speaking to um, Maria Zuffer who talked about Hajj and climate change and the need for um, uh, us as Muslims to kind of really take this, the seriousness of climate change on board because in future years time it will actually affect the way pilgrims will be doing Hajj um, in regards to the heat and the heat is it will be very it will be very very hot out there so that was Maria Zuffer talking to us about uh, um, Hajj and climate change it was a very informative conversation that we had with her now all the conversations on today's show will be repeated at 8pm this evening so do tune in and we do have a podcast that goes straight out the Facebook live is still um, open so you're very welcome to join in with the conversations and add your comments on there which I will read now the WhatsApp number to the show is 
07779481822. The time is 11.33, guys, and you're listening to The Urban Cube with me, Shamiza, taking you all the way up to 12 o'clock. On today's show, I'm joined by another tremendous guest who's joining us all the way from Birmingham this uh, morning. So it's an absolute pleasure to have his company. Now, he's actually going to be talking about a number of poignant um, subjects, and in particular, history is something that I'm very, very passionate about. As a child, I absolutely detested it. But the older I've got, the more I've started reading into it, the more I feel I'm really, really coming to terms with what's going on around me, which I think is so important. Now, um, Jahan Mahmood is the gentleman that I'm going to be speaking to um, very, very shortly. He's a historian who, um, and he, his specialism is military history. He's also a counterterrorism specialist who has advised the Home Office and the Royal Military Academy in Sandhurst. He'll be joining me today to share the military contribution and influence of Muslims in the war effort of World War II and how this knowledge can counteract the negative narrative around immigration, Islamophobia and racism in 29 Brexit Britain. We'll also be discussing his role around the counter-terrorism prevent strategy and why it hasn't been effective in engaging with Muslims and why it needs to change. And we'll also be finding out from him why he feels it's critical for more Muslims to engage with the media professionally and represent their voices and narrative. Lots to talk about there. Uh, without further ado, it's an absolute pleasure to have Jahan join us this morning. Assalamu alaikum, Jahan. Hi, Salam. Hi, Samira. Thank you so very much for joining us this morning. Now, I understand your um, you to, to well. Yesterday was eighty years. Uh, eighty years ago was um, when World War Two started. Um, quite a, a very, uh, quite significant. It actually changed the way we view the world today. But what has been quite significant uh, for me in um, the la- well in the last few years is finding out the actual significant role Muslims had played and South Asians had played in fighting for democracy, the freedoms that we have in the world today. And this is something that you've been quite passionate about and you've been actually researching and sharing this knowledge. Yeah, it's actually, uh, so it was 80 years um, exactly to yesterday, which was Mm. the 1st of September. And on 1939, the German army moved into uh, or invaded Poland. Mm -hmm. And then two days later, Britain and France declared war on um, Nazi Germany for doing so. And um, I'm afraid it's not quite as easy as saying that, you know, that the Indians or the South Asians in this case fought for um, freedoms and and liberties. Mm -hmm. I suppose the reason it being is that the Indians were suppressed. They were Mm -hmm. subjugated in their own country. And one of the things that I think is very important um, to make clear to listeners is that, you know, there's there's a lot of confusion around whether this army of two and a half million from modern day India, Pakistan and Bangladesh was a, was a volunteer force. And unfortunately it wasn't. Um, wow. There was forced conscription that took place. Boys as young as 14 and 15 were kidnapped. Goodness me. For Britain. And my uncle was one of them. He was actually 16 years old at the time. How did it make you feel when you'd actually discovered that your that your uncle at the age of sixteen was he kidnapped? Is that correct? Um, yeah, he was. Yeah. Wow, he was forced to fight. Yes. How? I feel very upset. Very. I was heartbroken, to be fair, because the first thing I was thinking about was 
one was how ruthless, and second was mm. how difficult it must have been for um, his family. Mm. And he lost his mother quite early on. So my father lost his mother when he was just quite young. I think he was under 10. His older brother then gets kidnapped by bridge recruiters. As soon as he's finished, he's equivalent of um, GCSE at school. And my grandfather had no idea that they'd taken his son to the war front. Oh, my goodness. So for my grandfather, it was just, he had no idea what was going on until he returned from um, from the war front in Burma fighting mm-hmm. against the Imperial Japanese Army. And he, he, he was left with all sorts of psychological trauma. But my, my grandfather said they could have at least told me that they were taking my son, you know, and he was... It was very hard done, to be fair. That, and, and How horrific. How horrific. Not knowing where your child is and then finding out they'd been kidnapped to find somebody, fight for somebody else's war. Did this... When did you get to discover this information and did this inspire you to do further research around um, military history and, um, and these stories that have been hidden away and not told? Well, yeah, I think a young lad sparked it off, to be fair. It was... Um, a guy that I was working with. He used to keep kids away from drug dealers and crime at night, so I'd hire a snooker hall. And it was in there one day, this young man was looking at his phone and laughing, huddled around with his friends. And it was the beheading of a British contractor called Ken Bigley. And I just said to him, that, look, it's not really funny. Come on, the guy's innocent. And he, and he said he's not innocent. He's part of a, an entire movement mm-hmm. that has gone into Iraq and that's an illegal war. And he was a remarkably young lad at the time. I think he was 14 or 15. But he says, if you're going to try to convince me that I'm British, you might as well forget about it right now. And I'm Pakistani, I'm a Muslim, I'm a brown man, all the things that I hated in Britain. So there's no really chance you're going to convince me. So I think it was him that mm-hmm. really kind of motivated me mm-hmm. to search for a narrative that could connect him and a lot of that generation. And in, to be fair, including myself, mm-hmm. I didn't feel very British. Uh, it has to be said. And um, as I started to go through the different campaigns and the casualties and looked at the war dead, I started to realize there's a pattern here. And a lot of these Muslim soldiers in particular were coming from Pakistan. And in uh, descending order, it starts off with Raul Pindi, Jalam, mm-hmm. Atak, Abdabad. These cities in Pakistan, these cities are in Pakistan, right? So, mm-hmm. It was then I started to realize, okay, now there's a connection. So he was from Jhelum, so I made that one connection. And then I started to find that the war dead, certainly in Europe, fighting mm-hmm. against some of Hitler's elite troops, were as young as 15 years. And I just thought, oh, my God, he was 15 years old wow. when I was trying to protect him from, you know, these criminal fraternities. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, look, I think I've got a story here. So um, I started to research it more. I was my supervisor at university, kind of like, inspired me to continue um, and then unfortunately I did hit a bit of a brick wall because people that I trusted and thought I knew growing up I thought they might support what I was doing but they tried to put me off it and said you're not going to do anything with this it isn't going to go anywhere don't even bother looking into the Muslim contribution and I just thought you know what you're going to have to do a lot better than that if you're going to try and discourage me mm-hmm. so I just carried on going and then I am now known as, as the guy who pioneered the Muslim contribution because I gave my first paper on the Muslim contribution, the war against Nazi Germany in Oxford University. Wow. In 2009, April. So 
and then after that, I think it was later that year, in September 2009, that the BBC produced the first video, um, the first film documentary on the Muslim contribution. And so we got the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I later found out that the BBC didn't do it uh, for reasons to try and, you know, challenge divisions across society, but rather to try and help recruit Muslims into the into the British Army today. So I felt I felt a little bit hard done, to be fair, because I thought they were doing it genuinely. Mm-hmm. But to it hasn't help raise awareness. But it hasn't stopped you, though, has it, Jahan? You have used this material to make a difference to many many young people's lives, in particular that young person who ha- who had a misunderstanding of who he was. Did you go back and share this information with him? And and how has this benefited young people? Oh yeah, did I share it with him? And um, he just made him feel like a stakeholder, like in modern-day mm-hmm. Britain. Mm-hmm. He, he said, well, I didn't know this, and at least I can walk down the streets with my head held up high, mm. and then I'm not continually interrogated and having the finger pointed at me. So it gave him a certain sense of strength and confidence, which is exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. Growing up as a young man, I was told to, as they would say, pee off back home. Mm. What the hell are you doing here, you pee? Um, the P word was thrown around a lot. And um, I didn't know what to say as a, as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it really upset me. But I didn't know we had given our lives and so many Muslim soldiers had fought from across the globe, not just from, you know, modern day Pakistan, Bangladesh or India or even Afghanistan for that matter in the First World War. But I just thought, I wish I'd known this before. You know, my father wouldn't have been brutally beaten. Um, I wouldn't have been beaten up as a kid Mm -hmm. and so many others wouldn't have been forced to eat mud, you know, as in literally had their heads stuck in in the ground. And as I started to build on the narrative and visit schools and colleges and mosques, I actually had a lot of positive feedback Mm -hmm. from Muslim students saying, you know, we were were feeling like there was, you know... And no sense of belonging. Yeah, we were feeling targeted, mm. you know, the, the, like Islamophobia mm. is, is in, like increasing and racism is increasing. And you've actually given us something to reflect on mm. and for us to challenge our haters with mm. without getting angry. Because we feel like we want to get angry and when people get angry, you know, often the last resort is punches are thrown. And I wanted to avoid that. I wanted to empower and equip and educate people. And it's, so that they it's verbal ammunition that you're enabling equipping these young people to kind of address their sense of belonging and identity to this country so it's obviously made them a lot more confident um going back to the research that you've done now um you mentioned that um you uh are working at a university or i'm mentioning that now you're a former lecturer at university of um, birmingham how has you how has that enabled you to kind of reach out to young people have you always worked uh, around young people or is in a youth yeah. work setting or was it just via being a lecturer well no i was just i was at the university when i was a visiting lecturer so it was part-time and they still call me in so a number of universities will still call me in from mm-hmm. time to time but it's not a full-time post that i had and um but it certainly assisted me in my research skills because i'd done my mm-hmm. degree at university of birmingham mm-hmm. and um it did certainly help me on that front but in regards to the young people I suppose it started when I was living in a predominantly white area mm-hmm. 
in one of the leafy suburbs of Birmingham. And I recall there was a couple of kids who were picking on some Pakistani lads and calling them, you know, Paki and so forth. And I just thought, I've suffered this racism for years. And at first it made me upset. But then I thought, you know what? It's not sensible for me to start having a go at these kids. So, you know, I was an okay footballer. I was I was pretty decent and pretty quick off the mark. I had, had a certain level of skill. And I just thought, maybe I could, because these kids were kicking a ball around the street. So I thought, okay, there's a park just around the corner. I went out and brought a football and a few bibs and cones and took both groups of kids, this group of white and, and black kids and the Pakistani kids, together to the park. And I started playing football with them and coaching them. So... These kids then said, uh, are you Pakistani? And I was saying, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. So as soon as they realized I was, it just completely and utterly changed their view of, um, of Pakistanis. And, and they were able to get on with these kids a lot better. They were able to break that kind of mental block mm-hmm. that they may have had, mm-hmm. which was probably more than likely encouraged by the parents or, or even at school or, or um, the media. And I was able to get through it. And I think that was like 1998, right? So that's where I think it really started. So it wasn't for me when I start engaging with young men loitering around the streets of Ladypool Road, Birmingham, and some of the surrounding areas, inner city areas, that is, it wasn't a far cry from what I'd already done mm-hmm. um, until eventually I realized that there was another group of kids that I was, I suppose, destined to meet who were pretty bad. They were into beating up, um, you know, just kids coming out of school, um, assaulting young girls, uh, selling uh, cannabis getting into trouble with the police, fighting. And that was the group that I was kind of assigned to in the end. And that's where that journey begins for me, you know. And then that eventually leads to advising the government because I've worked with so many young men by now Mm -hmm. that they wanted to get a feel for why they may be angry after, you know, the invasion of uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and what sentiments they may have against. Um, what is it that made these young people angry and just hang out on the streets? And what difference were you able to bring to their life that you were able to advise to the Home Office? Well, I wasn't able to save them all, which was quite distressing for me. I think it was their home situation more than anything. Father was often taxi driver out all night, sleeping during the day. There's a lack of interaction. So, you know, these, these boys, and in case, in some cases, um, girls, their sisters, they they just weren't getting much attention from their father. So it's down is, to parenting. So parenting was one of the major issues, for sure. The worst corporates in that gang were kids whose fathers weren't around. That I can confirm. And that's it in the case of the worst corporates. Um, the others, who were just like the sheep, um, they just, to be fair, they, they were just dependent on them mm-hmm. and they just went along with whatever they were saying so but would the you... main troublemakers mm-hmm. who had real daddy issues would you did you go back into the communities and address this issue to, um, to community leaders community members trying to get in um, at contact with the families to create this change no, we didn't really have community leaders we just had talking shops i mean that's one of the that's one of the reasons in the end i ended up in the media is because i was sick and tired of mm-hmm. hearing some of these first generation um, you know, Muslim 
self-appointed spokespeople, mm-hmm. so they weren't going to do much. But I did go and see the families of these kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would talk to their parents. I would talk, their mothers would be like, you know, it was like, they were on their last leg. They just couldn't deal with it anymore. They, Quite they, they desperate were with the situation. Very desperate. I mean, I had mothers almost... Well, yeah, I mean, actually, I did. I had mothers sobbing, crying on the phone, saying, you know, my son's just done broke someone's car window. This is unfortunate. He's someone's phone. Mm-hmm. And the police are, like, at my door. And I, I can't even speak English properly. And my husband's mm-hmm. at work. I had cases like that. And then I would have to leave at night. And I remember one particular... Case, leaving home at about 11, 11.30 to go and have a chat with this mother about her boy um, breaking a Sikh gentleman's car and nabbing his phone, you know. I mean, he got the phone in the end, mm-hmm. but it was just the distress he put his mom through and the fact that, you know, his, his mom called me because she didn't know where else to go at that time. And I was ultimately involved with, her, you know, I mean, as in trying to keep her boy on the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was quite privileged that she said... I was quite happy that she called me. At least there was somebody that she could speak to. And and this kind of brings me on to, like, the work that you're actually doing in the media because you did say that you struggle... There were were no community leaders to provide the support and that's why you had to kind of make your place in the media as quite a prominent um, social and political commentator on issues that are affecting the Muslim community, which you've done very successfully Um, and how has that journey been for you and what difference and change have you seen from actually talking about issues that are affecting Muslims um, uh, in this present climate? That's a a question I've never been asked before. That's a really good question. Um, It's been kind of hard because I had no formal training. Um, I was lucky enough to teach at university, lucky enough to be the son of a, you know, a son to a father who who had his own business in a supermarket, and I was engaging with customers on a daily basis from 13 to about 18, 13 to 19, and um, that certainly gave me a kind of an improved level of communication mm-hmm. skills. But nothing prepares you really for the media because you're put on the spot. Mm-hmm. A lot of the interviews are live, and you have to try and kind of hustle your way through them mm. and hope that you do the best and you represent your community well. So on the first occasion, I think it must have been about 2013, and it wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't what I would say um, a major interview. It was something to do with 13 people being rounded up and accused of a set of terrorism um, allegations, right? And I come across like I was almost, to some degree, uh, appeasing, you mm-hmm. know, and not really holding also the, author- the authorities' account for some of the mistakes that they made. And um, I just felt, and, and then there was more for me, there was like, yeah, the community should do more. And But I didn't, I, was, I wasn't so concerned, I suppose, at foreign policy and the impact that that had, Islamophobia and years mm-hmm. of racism. But when I hit the 2014 mark, I think things started to change. And that's when I did my first major interview. Mm-hmm. As you know, to tell a lie, I think my first major interview was when um, Lee Rigby was killed and the Prime Minister is talking from 10 Downing Street and issues a statement to the entire nation. And, the, you know, um, a team of journalists who sat in my living room at the time 
and they say you're on next Mr Mahmood and I thought they were joking and I was like I wasn't prepared for this and you threw yourself in the deep end but I remember I recall that interview and um, very interesting and what's really quite significant (laughs) is the fact that you're having to um, you're you're representing so many people so that must be a real burden on your shoulders to make sure that you say the correct thing but what I want to because we are heading to the end of the show we've got about about three minutes left Jahan what's really quite important is the fact that um, your thoughts on uh, the prevent strategy because this is one thing that constantly uh, Muslims are always being questioned about or under scrutiny we're seeing so many um, negative stories coming about this like counter extremism strategy but what 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 do you say what's your thoughts on this well i think that muslims should engage with the prevent strategy to advise the government you don't have to take the money you should at least advise them on what they should Mm -hmm. be doing and what they shouldn't be doing i think there's been a massive failure in engaging with the right people i think the tory government in particular has led on that kind of um that that, that, that initiative, and mm. it's a very negative one because mm. they're not engaging with um, mainstream Muslims. They're happy to talk to the people who are going to be singing off the same hymn sheet, and that's not getting them anywhere. Of and for it's a going round and round in circles. Test, yeah, and I think the true litmus test is, mm. can you go into areas and engage with extremists? Mm. Might prevent? No, they'll shut the door on you, and you know they may even spit in your face saying, mm. are you working for the same government mm. that has bombed innocent people across the world? And you're now telling us that we're not allowed to have any feelings towards these people. And, and, and I think for me, on a personal note, I think it's upsetting when, mm. you know, prevent frontline staff have said and personnel have said that we're here to promote British values like freedom of expression. But as soon as some people are vocal about foreign policy, they're deemed as mad or extremist. Which is so, um, which is so and sad. And you can't criticise prevent. Of so, so where's the freedom of expression? And I've been, I myself... We're heading I've to a, the end of the show, yeah, Jahan. Right. And it's so unfortunate. I knew I needed two hours with you. Okay, um, no, no, thank fine. you so much, Jahan. And I do feel that we need to continue this conversation. But for today, inshallah, it's assalamu alaikum. And thank you so very much for joining us yeah. and the amazing work that you do. That was Jahan Mahmood. And this is the end of the show. Um, assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.